Praise God. Praise God. I said this earlier, and I'll say it again. You guys are, I look out there, and I just see glowing eyes and glowing faces. You guys are a, a good expression of a clean bride. I look out there, and I just feel whiteness, if you know what I mean. Uh, the one desire, the one thing, the, the singled eye is full of light. And I, I see a lot of that in this room. And I just want to say that I find it, uh, it's, it's a great honor and privilege for me to be able to spend this time with you and to share with you. And I know that a lot of the things that I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you already are living. You're already walking these things out. So I pray you be encouraged in the same I pray that your desire that I know is present for God, you would not be here if you didn't have it, I pray that it would just increase and increase. You know, there's a story of two young men who go to this spiritual sage, and they want to know God like he knows God. They knock on his door, and he answers the door, and the two young men say, please, let us in, let us sit on your couch, tell us all the secrets that you found to knowing God like, like you do. And the old sage looks at them and he says, you have as much of God as you so desire. And he shuts the door on their faces. And with that said, they began to walk away and thought that was really rude. That was super mean. And while they're walking, they start thinking about what he said. And they thought, wow, he gave us the very thing we came there to get. And it was that truth that broke him into everything that he has found in God, which is simply this. You have as, as much of God as you want. Let that make you salivate. <laughs> Let that literally cause deeper and deeper hunger inside of you, because the Proverbs tell us that the hunger of a man works for him. So you begin to burn in, in hunger uh, for the Lord in, in newer ways. So tonight, I haven't come to wow you. I've come to woo you. <laughs> I pray the Lord would draw you to secluded places where his face is to obtain graces, to end all the chases, fill all the spaces so nothing's wasted. In Jesus' name. Turn with me to the book of Song of Solomon. I got some brides in the house. They're already happy. Praise God. Yeah, turn to Song of Solomon. Let me just say something to a couple of the men in here that are like, oh, God, here we go. I, I all the time, actually, people come up to me and say, you know, well, I'm a man, you know, I hunt and I, you know, I'm a man's man. So I don't know all this kisses stuff. I don't I'm not real comfortable with all this kisses of God stuff. Well, let me just ex explain something to you. It is one of the many beautiful allegorical understandings of what God desires to have with us. It's one of the many. I'll give you an example. Jesus says, he who eats me will live because of me. He, he's not asking you to, to, to put him in a blender and eat him. He's, he's 
he's allegorically or metaphorically explaining to you that if you take him in as life supply, he will be nutrients for you. He will literally be, uh, he will be life supply for you. Bridal understanding is the same type of thing. It's not that Jesus is kissing your lips. It's the spirit touching the soul. It's the intimate Love of God being experienced on the deepest part of who you are. The yoke and nucleus of your being being touched by God's love. That's the kisses of God. When you see his face in the text, you just got kissed by the Lord. And these kisses are wonderful. The Song of Solomon starts with kisses and ends with a Maranatha. The first verse, she says, let him kiss me. The last verse is hurry, my love. That's the bridal cry. The bride has Maranatha in her veins. Because your experience of Jesus now, and think of this and take this and put it in your spiritual pocket, your experience of Jesus now is your confidence of his his coming. You don't have much connection with the return of the Lord if you don't have much touching of him now. Let me say it with the words of John Owen. He said, those that don't enjoy looking at Jesus now will not be excited to see him when he comes. If Christ be not heaven for you now, he shall not be hereafter. (laughs) I love it. This stuff makes me crazy. It's this sweet experience of God that is life supply. It is just everything. So we have... The Maranatha in the blood by the kisses of God. You start losing that connection with the return of the Lord. The expectation and longing that we see in the scriptures for the coming of the Lord when you stop having the kisses of the Lord in your life. Some people say to me sometimes, they say, you know, I just feel like something's missing in Christianity. And I always tell them what's missing is the kissing. (laughs) You haven't had the kisses of God in your life. His kiss can cure your evil and bring you to his bliss and give you him for whom you sigh, Jesus, my sweetness. Raleigh wrote many years ago. It's the kisses of God that is, the kiss is your call. Did you know that? The kiss is your cure. (laughs) You get the sweet kiss of God and he, he literally plants seeds of love by his kisses like a garden in your soul. The bloom and blossom of which is the fruit of the spirit. I'm just working on my love. Forget love, get kissed, and you'll love. I'm working on my patience right now. Forget patience, get kisses. Because the inevitable result of kisses is patience. It says the fruit of the spirit of these things. It's not Eric's fruit. It's not your fruit. It's the fruit that belong to the spirit. The kisses of God are the reception of the spirit. Praise God for daily kisses. Most people's problems can be solved with just a sweet morning kiss. Some people come to me for counsel sometimes, and they're like, I got this going on, I got this going on, I feel like this. And my question is, when was your last kiss? Because most of the time, people have moved away from the sweetness of his presence, and then they wonder why all these things are going wrong. Charles Spurgeon said, there's no reason why you should look away from him, but there's a million reasons why you should not look away from him. Praise God. 
There's an illustration in Samuel Rutherford's letters. He says, many people, <laughs> many people are on the shore, and as a, as a boat goes by, they think that God, or they'll say, they're on, a, they're on the boat, and they look at the land, and as they're on the boat going, they think that God is moving away from them. But really, he never moves. They're the ones that's drifting. <laughs> so, Song of Solomon, we're going to look at chapter 8. I want to show you something here, because this is awesome. Verse 5, halfway through, it says, Beneath the apple tree, I awakened you. Say this with me. Say, Beneath, Beneath. the apple tree, I awakened you. Okay, this is the bridegroom talking, and he's saying, I made you awake underneath the tree, under what kind of tree? So how is, what is this that's happening? It's an awakening on the inside. The awakening of the soul. The awakening, the sobriety of the inner man. The sight, the seeing of God. It comes from something. And you know what that is? My daughter's calling me right now. Isn't that crazy? I thought I'd put this on silent. Hey, baby, let me call you back. I'll call you back, baby. Love you. She had her Santa Claus hat on. And, uh, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh. He awakens you under the apple tree. Some of us start falling asleep, and it's because you drifted from the apple tree. It's under the apple tree where you stay awake. You say, Eric, what's the significance of falling asleep? Well, when you fall asleep, you become unconscious, right? Some people live their whole Christian lives asleep, meaning they have no conscious presence of God in their life. There's no conscious Listen, the most fundamental aspect of communication is consciousness. If John came up here and punched me dead out, cold, and I was out on the ground, and then you started talking to me, I would not understand anything you're saying. I wouldn't hear anything you're saying. I wouldn't remember anything you said. Why? Because I'm unconscious. The unconscious Christianity is killing people. They, there's a doctrine, even a teaching, a thought pattern that it's okay, or actually, even in some circles, a sign of maturity to live unconscious of God. In other words, you don't need to sense the Lord. Let, let me tell you something closely. Let me tell you something seriously. It is your consciousness of God that is your safety. It is your awareness of his presence that is Christianity. Right. A.W. Tozer said the experience of God's presence is fulfilling the tenets of your salvation. Amen. In other words, this is the reason why you were saved, to be with him. To be in his presence, not unconsciously, consciously, so you can hear him. Listen, Hudson Taylor wrote an amazing book called Union and Communion, and it's on the, the book of Song of Solomon. And he says this. That Song of Solomon is the divine warrant for the desire for sensible manifestations of God's presence. Because in the very first chapter, you have every sense mentioned. Kisses of his mouth, 
his voice, his, his name, that's the hearing of his voice, the smell, the, the fragrance, his touch. You have all of the sights together, the hearing of his voice, all of it. You have sensatory experience in the spiritual man. That's Christianity. Your inability to perceive God was your fallen state. Now you've been born again. And you are called alive to God. And that, which, that means that you can perceive him. Now that perceiving of his presence and his spirit is the means by which he now governs your life. The king has set up his house in you. He set up his throne in your heart. And that throne makes its rule known throughout the entirety of your being by your consciousness of his person. Listen closely to me. You value his person by prioritizing his presence. Or you prioritize his present person by valuing his presence both ways. His presence is everything. You take his presence out, everything is dead. Jesus said, I am the way. He said this on purpose because he knew you and he knew me. And he knew we would try to find a way and forget him. So he's just forever settled the issue. I'm your way. Other teachers say this is the way you should go. Jesus says, I'm the way. Jesus says, I'm the truth. Why? Because he knew you and he knew me and he knew we would seek truths and forget him. Because he's seen it all throughout the Old Testament. He knows mankind and he says, I am the truth so that we wouldn't just seek correctness and think that that's safety for us. He says, I am the truth. And then lastly, he says, I am the life. Why? Because he's trying to tell us everything without its presence is dead empty. No matter how religious, no matter how spiritual it is, without his presence, it's worthless. Praise God. Aren't you glad it's that way? So now your only job is to cling to a person because then he'll be truth for you. He'll be way for you. He'll be life for you. You don't have to worry about sustaining your life. What is the, the quote from Andrew Murray? He says, a dead Christ, I must do everything for a living Christ does everything for me. <laughs> Doesn't that make you happy? Praise God. That's a great gospel. That's a happy gospel. Watchman Nee said this. He said, if Christ is not life, then you better get working. He says, but if Christ is life, then you need not struggle. When Jesus tells you that his presence, his person is way, truth, and life, he saves you from having to know the way, from having to try to figure out the truth, and from having to make yourself alive. You can look at Jesus and he'll be all these things for you. That's called a husband. <laughs> he says, find everything in me and I'll be all that you need. So this apple tree, underneath the apple tree, you're, she's awakened, right? Under the, underneath the apple tree, she's awakened. Let me just mention something here in the beginning here. It says, who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? How many of you have read that verse many times? Do you know that the wilderness is representative of, of solitude, right? Never mind the stain on my jeans. I dropped curry on it earlier today. Apologize. <laughs> the wilderness, nobody's out there. It's a place of solitude. As a matter of fact, in Hosea, when he wants to draw her back to him, he says, I would draw her alone to the wilderness and speak kindly to her. He'll whisper sweet nothings in her ear, and then she will remember him, and she will come back to him. That's what he's saying. She must have forgotten how beautiful my voice is, is basically what he's saying. Let me take her away and speak to her again. 
This is the loving relationship of God. And so he pulls her to the wilderness. Now check this out. When she returns from solitude, she's leaning on her beloved, right? So there is a learning that only comes from leaning. Just ask John. <laughs> Peter wanted to know something, and he knew John had access to it because he laid his head on the chest and gained access to the divine treasure chest. He knew there was a learning that only came from a leaning. This woman has, in solitude, learned to lean upon Christ, her beloved. And it's such a transformative thing that they say, who is this? They don't even recognize her anymore because she has entered into a transformative dependency upon her beloved. She's no longer one. She's two. <laughs> Praise God. So under the apple tree, this is where she's awakened. Now turn over to chapter 2. I want to show you the, another thing about the apple tree. Chapter 2, verse 5. Watch this. Let's, let's go to 3. Like an apple tree. Do you see it? It's right there. So how, where did he awaken her? Under the apple tree. Right here. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. Listen closely to me. Only Jesus has nourishment for your soul. Everybody else is just a tree of the forest. He's an apple tree that has actual substance for you. But the problem is that so many people are running to the trees of the forest to, for, to find nourishment, and all they're finding is a mouthful of bark. And they're not finding that wonderful snap, crackle, and pop of the juices of that apple on their tongue, which is the sweetness of Christ. And they're trying to find the sweetness of Christ in the trees of the forest. Listen, the greatest ministers in the world wear a sign on them that say, the apple tree is that way. That's a minister's job. He's not to give you nourishment. He's to point you to him who nourishes. And the problem is when men set themselves up as nourishment themselves, what happens is people get extremely disappointed. Or they, get, they start getting sick because they can't eat that bark. They're not made for it. So they start getting real sick and they start acting weird and doing weird things and believing weird things. It's because the trees of the forest have one job, point to the apple tree. Praise God. See it there? The apple tree, the apple tree, I love it. So is my beloved among the young men. In his shade, in his shade, don't you love the shade? Why do I say that? Because David dances in the shade. He says, under the shadow of his wings, do I rejoice? It's where he finds joy. It's underneath the shadow of the Almighty that you find safety. What does it say, the wonderful verse? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then you have this whole long list of protection. You have safety in the shadow. An old early Christian writer used to call it the divine shadow, to rest in the divine shadow. Praise God for the divine shadow to take refuge under his pinions. So you see here that the, in his shade, look what happens in his presence, in, in his shade. When you, when you go into the shade, there's no way into the shade but under. Do you understand? It's very important for us to realize that because some of us are trying to get into the shade going over the Lord. You, you gotta submit to him. It's under you get into the shade. 
And some people are burning up in the sun with boils on their faces, wondering where the shade is. It's below. It's down low. You're too high. That's why you're dry. (laughs) Praise God. Man, I'm happy tonight, guys. I feel like joy on the inside. Praise God. Okay, so here we go. In his shade, I took, look at this, great delight. It's not just delight. It's great delight. This is the kind of delight that people have written about in the past. Robert Murray McShane wrote, a calm hour with God is worth a lifetime with any man. (laughs) Rutherford said that an hour with God, an hour in communion with God, infinitely excels all the greatest delights and pleasures of the lower world. Charles Spurgeon said, it is worthwhile to have lived, if for nothing else, than have had a half an hour's fellowship with God. There is some wonderful delights that take the soul through the roof, if you will. I wrote to my daughter just actually today. I was praying for her alone, and I wrote this down to her. I said, I'm praying for you today, baby. The most ecstatic delights I've experienced in my life have been alone in my room worshiping Jesus. And I said, this invisible God satisfies my heart. I will count my entire life a failure if you live your life without such joys. I I wrote that to her because I feel in my heart like you can have miracles. You can have signs and wonders. You can have a great church. You can have a great following. You can have words of knowledge, rubber ducky when you are four. You can do what all this stuff. But if you miss the apple tree, you missed it. Does that make sense? Because there's something that happens when you eat of these apples. You eat of the apples of the Christ God man. You imbibe him. You know, God has made himself edible for you. (laughs) Why? Because he knows that there's this nourishment that you need in your soul. There's only one way to the nature of God, and it is to get the nutrients that come from his nourishment. Three ends for you. Nourishment, nutrients, nature. Religion stops you from getting the nourishment and demands the nature. That's why it's impossible and frustrating and nobody can do it. You can't, you can't try to, like, Program yourself to walk out the nature of God. You need, you need nourishment. A man is trapped in self-consciousness and self-centeredness until he feeds on that apple that comes from another world, which is Christ, the God-man. So we see here, she takes great delight and she sits down. See the merge between rest and delight? I remember Walter Butler once said, God gives people things when they're sitting and not when they're standing. He's trying to emphasize something. And it's out of John chapter six, where the scripture says about Jesus, that he multiplies the bread and he gives to all who are seated. He told them all to sit down and he gives bread to all who are sitting, which makes me think he passed everybody who didn't sit down. Because when he told them to sit down, they didn't sit down. So he says, I'm sorry, no bread for you. (laughs) Only those who sit get bread. Only those who sit get bread, man. Praise God. Martha and Mary, 
they know this very well. Do they not? (laughs) So it says here, his fruit was sweet to my taste. Look at this. He has brought me to his banqueting hall and his banner over me is love. Look at sustain me, refresh me. I'm lovesick. I want to talk to you for a second about being sick with love, okay? There is a love that Christ creates on the inside of you. You cannot create love for Jesus in yourself. As a matter of fact, to give you a good illustration that explains the point very well is you cannot chip an iceberg into a river. But if you will take that iceberg and let it sit in the rays and bask in the beams of the sun, it will melt into streams. And so it is. There's so many people trying to make themselves love Jesus. Chipping away. I've got to love the Lord. You're not going to be able to chip an iceberg into a river. But if you'll bask in his beams, you'll turn into streams. (laughs) Say, Eric, how do I do it? It's very simple. Just go sit with him and let him show you himself. And the more he shows you of himself, the more you'll love him. Those who see him are taken and captured by him. One of my favorite songs is in Spanish, and one of the lyrics is, he says, amor, amor, and he says, que me captivo, and then he says, e, e me atrapo, you've trapped me, he, you, you've, you've captured me, oh, your love, my love, my love, you've captured my heart, and I feel as if I, I don't even want to be free, I, I throw myself into this prison with you, I love your bondage, praise God, that's the kind of love we're talking about here with this sickness of love. The sickness of love is the inability to enjoy anything apart from him. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, in the Urban Dictionary, if you look up lovesick, it says someone who's so in love, they're unable to act normally. (laughs) Isn't that what Jesus said to us? He says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll no longer be able to be the same way that you were. You say, Eric, he didn't say that. Yes, he did. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. (laughs) You weren't able to do that before. (laughs) Praise God. Oh, God longs to live your life for you. Oh, praise God. So you see here, we have this sustaining and refreshing. And love sickness, this means that when you're sick with love, you realize you have no refreshment apart from him and you have no ability to be sustained without him. You say things like this, I was lost before your kiss and now I'm lost without your kisses. You say things like this, I cannot even sustain me. I can't keep me. Lord, you got to keep me. That's love sickness. I'm so dependent upon you. I'm worthless without you. I have all my eggs in one basket and it is the son of man. So let's jump over to Uh, chapter 7, verse 8. I'll show you another thing here, and then we'll start closing out. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 8. Halfway down, look at this. Talking of the bride. The fragrance of your breath, my bride, is like apples. Are you seeing this? So where does he awaken her? Under the apple tree. What is she doing under the apple tree, but eating these apples, sustained by them, and they're sweet to her taste, her sweet fellowship, and now her breath smells like him who she's eaten. 
How many of you have had, had two people tell you the same exact thing and one of them was dripping with oil and the other one was like a yeah. clanging gong? How many know what I'm talking about? In other words, it's like, here, I'll give you a story just to, to, to make it clear. There's a story of an old man of God and a young man of God. The young man of God gets up behind the pulpit and he begins to quote Psalm 23. And he does it so well. He's got perfect posture. His stage presence is great. And he, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me. The entire place erupts and starts clapping. And he goes and he sits down next to this old man of God. This old man of God, it's his turn now. He gets up. He's got his tattered, tattered and torn old Bible from years of searching the scriptures. He makes his way to the pulpit with a limp from being touched by God. He gets behind the pulpit. He opens up his tattered old Bible and he pushes his glasses up and he goes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He reads through the psalm and all the people start crying. He closes his tattered old Bible and he starts to limp back to get near the the boy again sits next to the boy and he says, what in the world was that? When I quoted Psalm 23, they clapped. When you read it to them, they wept. He said, what's the difference? And the old man puts his glasses down. He looks at the young man. And he goes, son, you know the psalm. I know the shepherd. <laughs> I say that to say his breath smelled like apples. You understand? He's been eating underneath the shade. He's been eating underneath the tree. He's rested underneath his God. And he comes forth with the fragrance of his God on his tongue. It's like you can eat his words. Praise God. We were talking earlier about different ministers that we've connected with over the years. And it's almost as if you can drink as they're speaking. The sound of their voice almost just causes something to rise on the inside of you, and you feel like you're being nourished by the sounds. And what it is, is the glory, having been underneath the wonderful, wonderful apple tree. So we see there that, that uh, the apple's there. Now I want to I, I, I close us here. As a matter of fact, I think we should just put it here. We've talked about this. The awakening happens under the apple tree. What happens under that apple tree is sweet communion with God. Restful, sweet, delightful communion with God. And it will change the sound of your voice. It will cause you to be an expression of him that, we, that you've been becoming one with over time. But I want to tell you something about why this is so important. And I'm going to tell you why it's so important with a story. I'm going to tell you a story. It's, a, it's called the giving tree, but I want to manipulate it for my own purposes a little bit. The story goes like this. A little boy goes to this tree, an apple tree. When he gets to the tree, the tree says to him, come boy, let us play together. Climb up my trunk, swing on my branches, and eat of my apples. And the boy comes up, climbs up the trunk, he swings on the branches, and he eats of the apples, and he just begins to enjoy and delight himself in the tree. The tree delighting in the boy, the boy delighting in the tree. And they live this way. And then all of a sudden, as time starts going on, the boy starts to grow up, and he 
comes to visit the tree one day, and the tree says, come, boy, climb up my trunk, swing on my branches, and eat my apples. And the boy says, listen, I'm a little too old for that now. He says, uh, I, got, I need some money. That's what I need. He says, do you have money for me? Can you give me some money? And the tree says, I don't have any money for you. He says, but I have these apples, and I will give you all my apples, and you can go and sell them, and then you will have money. The boy takes all the apples, he takes them into town, he sells them, now he gets money. He, years pass, he comes back to visit the tree. The tree's so excited. Come, boy, climb up my trunk and swing on my branches. And the boy looks at the tree and he goes, I'm just too old for that now. I got a wife now. I got, I got a family that I got to provide for. I need a house. Do you have a house for me? And the tree says, no, I don't have a house for you. But you can cut off all my branches and you can make for yourself a house. So the boy cuts all the branches off and he makes for himself a house for his family. Years pass. The boy comes back again. The tree's so excited. He says, come boy, uh, climb up my trunk. And the boy says, I'm, I'm too old for that. And he says, I'm, I'm at this point in my life where I just want to get away. I need a canoe. Do you have a canoe for me? And the tree says, I don't have a canoe for you, but you can cut me down and you can sail away in me. So he cuts the tree down makes it into a canoe, and he goes. When he comes back years later, that tree that he once so much enjoyed, that tree that once was nourishment to him, that tree that was a delight to his soul and restful place, now when he comes back to the tree, there's nothing left. He's completely used the tree out till there's nothing to enjoy. I say that to say, when you leave the enjoyment of God because you grew up out of childlikeness, you stop enjoying the Lord and you start using him. Using him to get what you want, using him to get more power, using him for answers to different things. And let me just tell you something about God, and I can prove this with the scriptures. He will let you use him. Eric, I don't think he will. Oh, you, you, you haven't read the scriptures that much yet. He lets these people cast out demons in his name, heal the sick in his name, all using his, his name. And then on that great day, what does he say? I did not know you. Did they cast them out by their own power? No, 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 no. He, he let them use his name and he let them use his power. I say that to say that once you leave delight, you slip into using God. And I have seen so many people slip out of delight and slip into using God. And then they find, they get to a point where there's nothing left to even enjoy anymore. They don't even, you start talking about enjoyment of God and it goes right over their head. You start talking about sweet kisses divine and the enjoyment of his presence. And they think of ministry. That's all they can think about. All they can think about is anointing. They can't think of anything that has to do with closed doors, all alone, just them and God. Are you following me? I say this not to rebuke anybody. I'm here to encourage us that we must enjoy God because that's what this thing is all about. You make progress by enjoyment. You stop enjoying God, you stop progressing. It's the enjoyment of God that is the fulfillment. As the Westminster Confession says, what does it say? The chief end of man is to what, glorify God by and enjoy him forever. One of my Bible school teachers shifted it, and he says, this is what it should read. The chief end of man is to glorify God by finding all your pleasure in him. As John Piper so brilliantly stated, 
He said, God is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. I encourage you that make enjoyment the source and center of your entire life. The enjoyment of his presence, let that be the barometer of where you're at in God. Not what you're seeing happen, not the answers to prayers, not, the, not getting the things that you want, not favor. Don't look for these things. Look for where's your enjoyment. And you can know that by what is, the, what is it that your heart is drawn to do when you have free time? You know what I'm saying? I remember one time uh, Dr. Brown said, people always say that they love the Lord, but their schedules testify more truly than their mouths. In other words, what, what, how does God make it in? Is, you know, if you, if you looked at a girl who's fallen, she says she's fallen in love with her boyfriend, and you say, where's, uh, where's, where's your boyfriend at? She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know where he's at. Oh, is he gone somewhere? I don't know. I haven't talked to him in like three weeks. Are you guys fighting? No. You love this guy? Yeah. Well, something's weird here. <laughs> because if you love this guy, you want to know where he is. You want to be around him. You want to be involved. You know what I'm saying? And so I think sometimes we can sing, I love, I love, I love your presence. But in reality, you know how much you really love his presence by how uncomfortable you are when you're not aware of it. But to live aware of God's presence, here is genuine Christianity. This is where the enjoyment takes place. Praise God. Is that okay? This is what I'd like to do. If the, <laughs> if, uh, is the piano guy here? The piano man? If the piano man can come up here and hold a D chord for me with a pad, this is what I'd like to do, because uh, I just feel like, I just feel like I've deposited exactly what God wanted me to deposit, and I just pray that the, I just want to ask for rain to come upon the seed and your soil so that no bird will come and take it away. No thoughts will come and steal it away. And that the rain will make the ground moist so that it will get deep and it won't just be something that springs up with joy real fast but then dies the moment something difficult comes. But you'll be able to enjoy God even in the most difficult times. As a matter of fact, if you talk to anybody who knows how to enjoy God and lives by enjoyment, you can ask them if this is true. And many of you in this room can testify of this, that even in the hardest times, it seems like the enjoyment increases with the hardness of the times. <laughs> How does that make sense? I don't have any idea, but God just has this way. Praise God.